don't know if you've experienced that in your house, but uh, we we are locked in, we're connected, and we we make decisions together. Even things that that that, that tend to be hard for a lot of folks, we've just gotten to know each other in such a way that a lot of those conversations aren't as hard as we think it might be or should be. And, and so it's good to look in your own lives at the partnerships that, that you have and how do you continue to grow together. You rely on one another. You get to know each other's quirks. It, it took Libby and I a little while in order to figure those things out. And, you know, uh, we've both grown and changed in the Lord. We've both grown and changed together. And so God has just really blessed us in that way. And I want you to think about, like we open up the service, service today, and think about how God has blessed you in your own partnerships, whether it be a marriage relationship, a spouse, fiance, or partnerships with that you have with family and you share responsibilities with them or in your businesses, uh, schools, things that they think about who God has put in your purview and connected you with and how you work alongside them for a common goal. This morning, we're going to talk about these gospel, gospel partnerships. And all those I, I mentioned to you, by the way, can also be gospel conversation or gospel partnerships. Just because it, it might be a secular business, we're talking about our marriages, we're talking about different relationships, doesn't mean that it doesn't have gospel implications. And as a matter of fact, it's more important for us as Christians to view everything as sacred. We have this dichotomy often where we think about the sacred and the secular, but God created it all. God is, he spoke in the universe, left into existence. So everything that we have and experience is because of who God is. And so we should think about it in that way, that everything that we do, everything we say, everything we, we make and create, it should be, ought to be for the glory of God. And so as we think about these things, we're going to talk about the gospel specifically as we're, the gospel is proliferating throughout the known world at the time but we get to see that there is no sacred and secular. It's all together and it's all meaningful. Let's look in our copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1 here, and God's Word reads, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and found a Jew named Aquila and a native, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius has commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, and they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue after the Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. We'll pause here very quickly. We, we're talking about Paul, and he's on his missionary journeys. He's going, and, and he's, he's building churches, planting churches, and uh, we see him using the same uh, vernacular. He's going and reasoning in the synagogues. He's having discussions with people, people who are kind of predisposed or open to hearing the gospel and, and people that are just totally against hearing the gospel. But he's going and having these conversations with them. What a great example it is for us. Regardless of what we're doing and where we're going, we are called to go and share the good news with others. And we get a great example from Paul of how to do that. We, we get a great example of what it means to go and, and in our own vocations or wherever God has placed us to go and share the gospel with others. And we see him. And Paul is serious about this. 
And he's so serious that in the span of three years, Paul travels about 2,000 miles. That's incredible because when you think about it, 2,000 miles, there, he wasn't driving to these cities back and forth and, and probably not very likely that he was in a chariot or anything. He's, he's footing it. He's hoofing it from, from city to city, 2,000 miles. So here, here we go. This this 50-year-old man, he's walking the equivalent distance. If we were to set off on foot and go to a place like San Francisco, California on foot, this is the equivalent of what Paul travels by foot in the span of three years. I, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine traveling that far. I don't want to walk a couple blocks by foot. So <laughs> I can't imagine Paul getting out and staying out with the other missionaries and going out on foot. But Paul's strategy was to hit up all these major cities in order to share the good news with those people. After leaving the intellectual city of Athens, is what we talked about in the previous chapter, he, he went to Athens and he encountered folks that were, were very intellectual but they didn't really believe in Christianity. And if you remember, uh, Paul, uh, the, the folks saw Paul and they called him a babbler. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just going and saying all kinds of weird stuff. But when Paul started to, to speak and he, he showed that he knew and understood kind of who they are and who they were influenced by, they were like, well, maybe there's something to this Jesus guy that Paul is talking about. And they became a little more softened to the message. Now, there weren't, weren't a lot of people here that believed and followed Christ, but that was all right. So Paul was obedient in sharing the good news with those who needed to hear it. And even though uh, we don't see thousands come to Christ like we do earlier in Acts, we do see some, but hopefully he planted a seed in those people that didn't come along. He planted the seed that they continue to to think about what was going on and what Paul had to say. So Paul leaves Athens and he goes 46 miles to Corinth. And Corinth, it was a, a commercial and very immoral metropolis at the time. The Corinth was a lot like if you were to look at New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas and smash them together. That's, that's kind of what Corinth would have been at the time. Can you imagine that, those three cities? I mean, as massive as they are and all the things that they do in those cities, imagine smashing them together, and then you would get a sense of what Corinth kind of looked like. And speaking of Las Vegas, I mean, we kind of know in this day of age kind of all the stuff that goes on in Las Vegas, but think about that, and you just multiply it by 10 or 100 times. This, it, Corinth was a whole different level when you talk about things like Las Vegas and others. Uh, to live like a Corinthian at the time meant that you would just have complete moral depravity, that you were just wilding out, doing whatever, and it was okay. Kind of the way that we're, we see the world going these days, that it's just getting, just open a box and everybody does, does what right, what's right in their sight, right? So this is what we see uh, happening here in the center of the city, was the temple of Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was the, the goddess of love. It was about 1,900 feet high, um, and it overlooked the entire city. So if you were to go in it, you can see everything. And so with this goddess of love, what happened was the thousands of female uh, slave and, and priestesses, they will walk through the city and sell themselves to worshipers. 
and this is how they will worship. This is how bad it was in Corinth. I mean, once you start reading about the history of a place like this, your mind will be blown. You think things are bad now. Uh, there's a great wisdom writer that said there's nothing new under the sun. And this is proof here. As bad as things get here today, we see that you know, I mean, stuff they were, they were doing in Corinth was, was pretty outrageous. When you read about this, and Paul writes to the Corinthians later, you really get a sense of how bad it was. When he writes to the, the Corinthians and tells them straight up, like, hey, you, you shouldn't be doing these things. You shouldn't be adopting the things of the people that are around you. You need to straighten up. I, I gave you the gospel. This is what it is. You can't change it. You can't touch it. You can't add to it. You can't take away. We need to get back on the right track. But... Despite of all of this, I mean, Paul is going into it knowing how depraved Corinth is, but he still knows that it's a strategic spot for gospel advancement just because of where the city was, right? So he, he knew that it, it still had influence. It had a, a massive amount of diversity. So if you could reach people there, it, it could spread like wildfire, and it, it could have an effective change on what Corinth was known for. And, and this is a great example again for us as we, we think, well, the, the city is too far, far gone. I mean, Chicago, we just, just forget about it and just focus on Bolingbroke. No, nobody, no place is too far gone. Nobody is outside of the bounds of, of being transformed by the gospel in this message. So we should all the more be going and to try to share the good news to those who need to hear it. And we read here, while, while Paul was there, he meets a couple. A couple, they have a vocation of, their, of making tents. They were tent makers. Uh, the names are Aquila and Priscilla. And they open their home to Paul. This should sound familiar. Because as we've been going through Acts, I've been reminding you there's a great gospel tool of, to advance the gospel or to, to be on mission is to use our houses as a tool so that we can go welcome people in. There's a lot of people that are not going to darken the doors of the church, but might know you, like you, respect you, and would sit at the table with you. And there God opens up an opportunity for you to be able to share the gospel, be, be able to break bread with them and learn more about them and their background. They get to learn more about you and feel more comfortable. And maybe they might share, you know, man, I'm having a struggle here at work and I don't know what to do. I, I just lost my grandmother, uh, all this sickness and pain and the pandemic going on. I don't know what to do. And uh, lo and behold, that you hold the key. You have an answer. You, you can provide to them hope found in Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity that is. And, and as they're sitting at your table, as you're sitting on your couch and you're able to share some of the good news with them, uh, hopefully over time, if not right then, then they will be open to an invitation to come and to come and sit with you in the pew and to hear more about this, this Jesus Christ and what he's done. So here we have... Uh, Priscilla and Aquila showing what that looks like. Whenever they're mentioned, Priscilla and Aquila, they're opening their house house to other people. They instructed, we'll read later, they instruct Apollos in their home um, as he was kind of going sideways. They're like, hey, hey, brother, we need to have a talk. Why don't you come over and have some coffee with us? And they, they set him down like, hey, this is, you're going a little astray. 
and this is this is what we need to do and so we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later in the coming weeks but they lived in Ephesus and Rome and they frequently had the church at their house they were they had bible studies or things of that nature they were uh, they, that was the reason for their home is so that they can have folks over they can entertain and all those things we get some more ideas about this when we look at John 14, 1 through 7. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, will I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Jesus, Lord, why, why do I uh, do not know where you're going? How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is an important passage for us because if Jesus is going to prepare a place for us and welcome us into his family, shouldn't we be like Jesus? Shouldn't we think about hospitality and go welcome others into our own homes to be able to welcome them in to, to our family of God and be able to introduce them to uh, this what is, is waiting for them, right? If, if they were to follow Jesus and what that would look like for them in their lives. Priscilla and Aquila demonstrate what happens when Christians understand the grace of Jesus Christ. And again, we see Jesus welcomes us into the family of God and he prepares a place for us. So we should just be like Jesus. The old the term, what would Jesus do, right? That, that's a good thing to be thinking about as we, we do various things in our lives, and especially when it comes to practicing this hospitality. And we can just start by inviting folks for, for coffee. Maybe it's not to your home. Maybe it's just to the Starbucks. Or maybe we're taking them out to lunch and you're sharing a meal with them. Or maybe it means uh, fostering children or inviting minister, uh, missionaries as they're coming through town. You invite missionaries to come stay with you. How can you use your tool, your home, in order to reach people with the gospel? The couple, Priscilla and Aquila, are mentioned in various places in the New Testament. We see them in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. Uh, and when they're mentioned, they're primarily mentioned together. This married couple are, it seems like they're always together. They're about their father's business. They were the, the dynamic duo of ministry, so to speak. Priscilla is also mentioned, uh, often mentioned first to show that she had a, a big influence as well. And so she was there as a, as a strategic person that were, would minister to other women, women and to be able to connect with them throughout. And we see this very similar to Lydia that, that we encountered earlier in Acts in Philippi, where uh, Lydia was a person of, of high stature. She had her own business. She had it going on, nice, nice big house, another person that was focused on hospitality. And to show the important role that women played here in the, the, the gospel movement. She's a great godly example of how women uh, acted and played a, a huge part in the, the, the spans of church history. And women like her are proof 
that the church's mission in the, the, in the book of Acts is not just a, a male-dominated movement. Uh, the, it shows that the, the, the importance of women in this as well. And there are people who would have you believe that the Bible is misogynistic, but if they were actually to read the scripture, they would see that, uh, like Jesus tends to do, turns everything on his head and shows the importance that women play throughout. Priscilla and Aquila, they were ride and die. They were there together, always doing the ministry. In Romans 16, 3 and 4, it says uh, in this letter that Paul writes, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Man, Paul worked with them. He traveled with them. He lived with them. And he owed his life to them. That's how important this couple was to Paul as he's going and spreading the gospel. And I'm sure he says it himself how grateful he is. And, and in fact, they, I don't, whatever they did to risk their, their own lives and their livelihood in order for him to do the job that God has called him to do. A minor point about Paul is that not only was he a preacher, teacher, evangelist, but he also worked as a tent maker. He was bivocational. He was able to do what others had to do. He, had, he could be able to work with his hands as well as his mind, and he was able to make a living in a secular vocation. Again, dis, dispelling this myth that we have this sacred and secular divide, that, that we can bring these two together. Everything is, is sacred and we should treat it as such. So during the week, Paul would make tents and he would put himself in a position where he could witness to people. He can, he can explore his faith with others. And then on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogues and be able to preach and teach there. And this is comforting for me, because like Paul, I too am bivocational. And, and I think it puts me in a cool position to be able to do that, because when I'm in my corporate job, like Paul, it puts me in a position to be around other people who don't believe like I do. The people who are, uh, maybe they're of other faith, or maybe they have no faith. And when they get to know me, hopefully they see the light of Christ through me, and that opens a door. And I frequently do have people say, well, I know you go to church and stuff. Uh, I got a question for you. Or I know you're a man of God. Can you pray for me about this? Man, it, without this job, I, that one wouldn't have the, the, the opportunity to be in a person's life like that. Or, you know, I'm at a business dinner and, you know, we're having casual talk. And, oh, Vaughn, what do you like to do in your free time? Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church in Bolingbroke. A pastor? I don't know any other pastors. Tell me about that. Wow, what a great opportunity that is for me to share what, how God uses me and what that means. And oftentimes it dispels myths that they, they, they assume or they think they know or maybe they've heard things on, on TV about other pastors and what it is and Hopefully I can give them a different perspective. But the same is true for you in your vocation, where you go to school, that if you are living for Christ, people see that you're different, that, that things are maybe don't affect you the way it affects other people. And they say, well, why is it that, that you don't react like everybody else does? 
Well, why is it that you're not flying off the handle? Or, you know, hey, hey what did you do this weekend? And you get to share with them, like, oh, I went and we had uh, went to church and we had this great service and I heard something really stuck out to me in a text. Can I share it with you? What a great opportunity it is for us to be able to share the gospel. God puts us in a place for a reason. He surrounds us with people in our lives for a reason so that we might be able to take the gospel to them. We'd be able to pray with them and help support them and, and encourage them. Here, as we, we look and we see Paul and what he's doing, let's jump into verse 5 in chapter 18. It says, when, when Silas and Timothy arrived in Macedonia, Paul was occupied with, with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus and a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to a synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of uh, the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Here in in verse 5, we see Silas and Timothy. They come from Macedonia, and and it looks like they brought some funding with them. They had a little cash to to come and and help Paul in his particular ministry. uh, Likely this funding came from the Macedonian churches like Philippi. And with them, because of this funding, now Paul can uh, put aside his tent-making job and focus on preaching and teaching here. It says he was devoted, and so the word devoted has this connotation of uh, completely absorbed or engrossed in the work that was in front of him. And so now he's able to give his full attention to the word. Then we see in verse 6, it says they, they... They opposed and uh, reviled him as he continues to share the gospel and who Jesus Christ is. It says they opposed and reviled him. And so he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. We see Paul is, is spending a lot of time with people who are showing interest in the message. But at the same time, there's people who, who don't, they don't care. They don't want to have anything to do with what he's talking about. And so uh, some of them immediately come to faith and some don't. We're going to experience the same thing. Maybe we share the gospel, we pray with somebody, and they don't immediately come to faith. That's just kind of how things work sometimes. Or sometimes maybe they will. Praise God that that would happen. But sometimes we're just planting seeds. And we see this as an example, again, of of how this looks. But we see with Paul, he will not spend time where he's continuously facing hostile opposition. It it talks about him shaking off his his garments um, because of the rejection. This is much like several years ago, we used to brush our shoulders off. Remember that? Who knew it was a biblical concept? But here, uh, when, when somebody would shake their garments it would just say, hey, I'm going to get rid of this and I'm going to go on to the next. But Paul tells them that, hey, you can listen or not, but the judgment is going to be on you. I was obedient in sharing this message with you, but it's up to you 
to take it from there. It's up to you to make a decision whether you're going to follow Christ or not. So for us, when we're sharing the gospel, it's not a rejection of us if they choose not to follow Christ. And it's not that we failed if they don't immediately come to Christ. We're, what's important for us is that we take the step in obedience and share. That's the win. That I got out of my own flesh, of my own discomfort, and, and I did what God called me to do, to pray in that moment, to share the good news in that moment, to encourage in that moment. And, and it's up to the other person from, from there out. If you were able to share the good news, if you're able to do what God called you to do in that moment, that is a win. We should celebrate that win. We should celebrate that. I want to hear about it. I want to hear about the time you got to, to share the gospel with somebody. You got to pray with I heard just the, the other day somebody had a, somebody come do some work in the house, and they were able to pray with them. That's fantastic. I love that. I need more of that because you're taking the next step in obedience. And who knows what that person will do next. Maybe they'll come to Christ then, two weeks, three months. I've shared the story of, you know, I was praying for somebody and sharing the good news with them for years. Years later, they, they finally did come to Christ. But there's some that haven't that I've been praying for and continue to pray for. But what's important is that we take the next step in obedience, that we do what God calls us to do. Paul tells them, look, hey, this judgment is going to be on your own hands. I'm not going to be held responsible. I've done my part. Now it's time for you to step up and do yours. Look with me in verse 9. It says, And the Lord said to Paul, One night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Even though Paul has had a ton of success, and we know him, I mean, man, he wrote majority of the New Testament. Um, we, we see him moving like a boss from town to town, sharing the gospel. And we think that no, nothing can phase him, nothing could harm him. But here he is, we see this, this chink in his armor. We see that he all of a sudden has, a, or maybe it wasn't all of a sudden, we see that he has a, a lack of confidence. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, he puts it like this and says, I was with you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. That's humbling to me. That As we look back at the Apostle Paul, that even he experienced doubt, that even he got discouraged. It's easy to read in the text and think that it was all great and they just had all these things going for them, and it was easy. By no stretch of the imagination was it easy by no stretch at all. And so hopefully that encourages you as much as it encourages me. It's possible at the time that Paul was experiencing some burnout. Like I said, I mean, he was humping it from city to city, talking to all these people, doing all these different things, not to mention uh, getting, getting beaten and thrown in jail and back and forth. But it wasn't easy, and he still tried to do what he was called to do, but it was tough. It was hard. So I hope this encourages you as much as it does for me because that, that's, that gives me hope that, that even uh, if I do get discouraged or if I do get down, I get weak, I get sad, that 
there's, there's still hope for me too, just like it was for Paul. Even the great apostle Paul needed encouragement in order to do what was needed to do. And fortunately for us, just like the Lord spoke to Paul, he says to us as well, Hebrews 13 and 5, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that something? Your friends might leave. Your parents might not be there for you. You your coworkers and people that you think are going to be there through thick and thin, they might not be there. They might not be acceptable, but the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always, you can always turn to the Lord. You can always look to him and he will be there with you. The Lord also will draw his people to himself. John 6 and 37 says, all that the father gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of whom, him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been, he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the comfort that we have available to us that we can take with us. I don't know where you are today. Wherever that is, I want you to know that you can lean on the grace of the Lord, that he is trustworthy. When we come to, to worship, we, we come to, to worship him. We come to ascribe worth to him because he is worthy. And the benefit of reading through Scripture is to be reminded of that. He did all these things for his people throughout time. He can do the same and more for you. We have promises that the Lord gives us. Even through your pain, your grief, your sorrow, you can still meditate on the promises of God and you can draw closer to Jesus. This is what I hope for us here today. That this is the time that when you have challenges in your life, uh, this is the time where you need the community most. This is not a time for us to continue to isolate ourselves. It becomes harder when you go through trials or different challenges when you isolate yourself. This is when you need community. This is when you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is when the body of believers comes into play. This is why it's so important to be uh, members of your local body, your local church, because when times get rough, God has placed those body of believers around you to encourage you, to strengthen you, to, to help you stand when you feel weak, to be out and pray for you, pray with you, to encourage you, to, to mourn when you mourn, to rejoice when you rejoice, to point you back to Jesus and what his truths say. When the enemy is, is, is at your, in front of you and telling you all these lies, telling you how good, how bad you are and how nobody's going to do anything for you or you're never going to make it, you're never going to be successful, nobody's ever going to love you. When the enemy is, is biting at you in that way, you have your brothers and sisters to remind you of the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is. In your sorrows, you need to press into God's word and be around God's people and allow the Lord to rejuvenate you. 
Because like Paul, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like there's days I can't make it. There's days where I don't want to get out of bed. There's days I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to do what, what God has called me to do. That's too much work. It's putting myself out there too much. And that's the enemy trying to prevent me, trying to, to, to stop me from doing what God has called me to do. He's trying to stop you from doing what God has called you to do so that people's lives might be changed, that people might be able to hear the gospel, be able to hear the good news and be, loose those chains that they have, that they will be able to have joy even in the midst of sorrow. And the enemy doesn't like that. Brothers and sisters, you can find strength in God's abundant grace. So look for the sufficiency of God's grace throughout your trials. And make sure that you're in partnership with the gospel. Hopefully it's right in your home, with your spouse, with your family. And above and beyond that is some of the people who are in the room with us, some of the people who are online with us, that we can join together in, in partnership for the gospel so that we can further, we can see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. We thank you for providing us this, this good news, this encouragement. And we have so many examples through your text to see how you've used people along the way. And we see none of these people are perfect. And the fact is, we, we see why that's so, because none of us here are perfect. We saw everybody in the Bible that was perfect. We, we see that there's no hope for us. But you give us hope because you use these imperfect people who are no better than what we are. And so if you did it for them, you certainly could do it for us. Father, help us to look to you for any and all the things that come up in our own lives. Let's keep the enemy at bay and remind ourselves of the truth that's found within the Scripture reminder of why you sent your son to take the burden and wrath on our behalf so that we might be able to have life. Not only for now, but that we would have life for eternity. We get to be with you. Look forward to that. Please continue to, to show us the people that you surround us with to have, uh, to be encouraged by and those we need to encourage, and let's focus on our partnership in the gospel. But we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you please stand?